This message was recorded live at Elevate Church in Erie, Pennsylvania. As followers of Christ, we follow a God who was crucified, dead, buried, got up, walked out of the tomb, demonstrating that there's nothing that you and I can't walk out of. He doesn't love me based on my performance. God loves me based on my position. It matters so much that we imitate Christ and we live out those principles. There's nothing that you could do. There's, there's no great sin that you could have ever committed that would be a barrier between you and Jesus. To learn more about Elevate, how you can get connected, or how you can support the work that Elevate is doing in Erie, visit elevatechurch.com. So good morning. You guys good today? Hey, um, welcome to spring. Right? Awesome. It's amazing how. Yeah, Amen. Uh, I want to welcome you. If I didn't mention it earlier, my name's Colby, and I'm the pastor here, and if this is your first time checking out Elevate Church, you're jumping in on the end of a series that we're doing called Search, where we've been taking some of the greatest questions that people have about God and kind of unpacking those to the best of our ability. In week one, we started talking about, you know, if, if God's so good, why do bad things happen to good people? I would encourage you. You can check out all these on the app. You can go back and listen to all the messages. Uh, after that, we talked about God's presence in our life. And, you know, I want to feel God. Why don't I feel God? Do I have a part to play in, in God's presence in my life? Last week, we, we watched the message really unfold as we talked about what does it mean to follow Jesus, and we got to see all these people go public with their faith. So I thought we would end today on a lighter note. Let's talk about something a little more upbeat, a little more uplifting, and our question for today is, what happens when I die? Doesn't that sound like fun? It sounds like fun. Uh, if you have a Bible, we're gonna cruise through a lot of text this morning, so I would encourage you to bust it out, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Revelation 20, Matthew chapter 7. We're going to spend time in all of those, the first one being 1 Corinthians chapter 3. While you're turning there, uh, as I was thinking about this, I thought about the idea of have you ever been in a situation where things didn't quite turn out the way you had planned? Or, or you, you got involved in something and it wasn't really quite the picture you had in mind. Has anybody ever been in that situation? Didn't turn out quite the way you thought it was gonna turn out. Maybe you're sitting by your situation that didn't turn out the way you thought it was gonna turn out. Um, I think for many of us, and the reason why I say that is because when we step into eternity, when we stand face to face with Jesus, I think there's gonna be a lot of those thoughts running through our mind like, this isn't what I thought it was going to be like. This isn't what I had pictured. This isn't the idea that, that I thought, you know, eternity would look like. And especially if you're from a church background, which many of you are, the reason being is our view of eternity is really messed up. Because maybe you were a part of that youth group where they had that one youth group skit. Uh, if you know what I'm talking about, there was a, every youth group, they did this skit where they had this line of students and there was a guy at a desk, all right? And he was dressed in a white robe. He had a white beard on. He was supposed to be God. And he's sitting at this desk with a computer. And then there's this line of people. And the kids come up like one at a time. And he goes, next, please. And he goes up to the, 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 they walk up to the computer. And they're like, name, please. And this guy's supposed to be God. And I always thought that was weird how God didn't know your name. But anyway, <laughs> it's just a skit. And so he says, name, please. And you tell him your name. Like, my name's Colby. So he's looking it up in his computer. Oh, Colby, here you are right here. 
right this way, please. And it's kind of like you're ushered into the, this right side of God and angels are there waiting for you. Your fist bumping them, your chest bumping, all that kind of stuff. And it's awesome. And then the next person gets up in line and he's like, name, please. He's like, Kristen. I don't know why he's my wife's name, but Kristen. And he's like, uh-oh. You're, you don't have a reservation. This way, please. And she walks off to the left, right? And it's kind of like if the youth group was kind of cool, they had a fog machine, they had some red lights, and, and demons would come out and drag her down to hell. And they would always say this, all right? Every time the person was being drugged down to hell, they would say, why didn't you tell me? As they were going to hell, the skit would end, they'd give an invitation, and people would get saved, all right? Then they'd send them home. It's not gonna be like that. I think we have a messed up view of what happens when we step into eternity. In fact, there's going to be two different judgments. One's going to be for those of us who are followers of Jesus, and the other one's gonna be for those of us who aren't. And we're gonna talk about both of those judgments today, so this is gonna be a little bit more teachy than it is preachy. Uh, but the first judgment we're gonna look at is the judgment seat of Christ. Drop that down. This is the place where followers of Jesus, when we stand before him face to face, like that glory to glory, the song that we sang, until we see that day, we're standing face to face. This is what that is, the judgment seat of Christ. First Corinthians chapter three, starting in verse 10, it says, because of God's grace to me, remember that word grace, kind of highlight it, underline it. I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now others are building on it, but whoever is building on this foundation must be careful. We're coming back to that as well. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one that has already been laid, uh, the one we have already, Jesus Christ, that's the foundation. Anyone who builds on that foundation may use, watch this, a variety of of building materials, a variety of things, gold, silver, jewels, right? That's one type. The other type, wood, hay, or straw. And I want to unpack this uh, for a moment. The Apostle Paul writes, there are two qualities of work that will appear before Jesus at this, this judgment seat of Christ, also known as the Bema seat of Christ. And he breaks it down. There's going to be uh, gold, silver, uh, costly jewels, those are all valuable. And then he says there's gonna be wood, hay, and straw. Also building materials, right? But those will be uh, flammable. I thought about calling this message for, for those of us that are stand before Jesus, is what you're building valuable or is it flammable? So there's an alternate title for you if you wanna write that down. He says some of it will be valuable. Some of it will, will last, but others of it will burn. Look at verse 13, because on that day, the judgment day, the day you stand face to face with Jesus, the fire will reveal what kind of work it is. The fire will reveal what you have, have built. One day, you're going to stand before Jesus and he's going to test the quality of what you've built. He's gonna test the, the value of the things that you've built, your motivations, your, your thoughts, the work that you've, you've done. And by the way, you can't fool him. Because that day, everything's going to be brought to light, revealed with fire, and keep reading. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. So if you know Jesus and you stand before him, the value of your work will one day appear before him. And he's going to judge it. He's going to 
to test it. Verse 14, if the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. And I want to stop right here because I've heard people say, hey, you know, it doesn't matter how you get to heaven. When we all get to heaven, we're just going to be the same. Everybody's the same no matter what you did. That's not true. In fact, this scripture and tons of other scripture in the Bible says that there are different levels of rewards. And I wish I had time to go into that, but there's different crowns, you know, with different jewels. There are different levels of our rewards. The people that would say, we're all going to be the same. They say that it's a lie and they use it as an excuse to live a mediocre life here and now, hoping that when they enter into eternity, they're all going to be the same. And that's not the way it's going to go down. Verse 15, but... If the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss, but watch this, he will be saved. But like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. This is why I believe that once you've said yes to Jesus, you've surrendered your life to him, is kind of the once saved, always saved. I believe that. He's gonna test the quality of your work. Your work might be burned up, but you're saved. You still escape you know, the, the flames of the, the fire. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, what we just read could be a sobering text for you because you might be sitting there thinking, this isn't what I thought it was gonna be like. This isn't exactly how I pictured eternity being. It could be one of those, well, I didn't expect heaven to be that way kinds of moments. Again, because our, our picture of heaven is, is, is messed up. We think we stand in line, someone calls our name, we rock to the right, the pearly gates open, right? You're given your harp, you're given your cloud to sit on, you're given the songs that you gotta play, you know, you're given, you know, Krispy Kreme donuts forever kind of thing. That's our vision, at least my vision of heaven, but it's not that way. The Bible says that we will appear before Jesus and he's going to judge the quality of our work. He's going to judge. He's going to judge the value of our, our work. Now, real quick, here's what you will not be judged for. In this judgment, your sin. People always ask, Colby, what's the best thing about following Jesus? If you could narrow it down to one verse, what would that, that be? Uh, Romans, Romans 8, 1, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation, right? Or, or I'm sorry, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, like, that's it right there. You will not be judged if you're in Christ Jesus for your sin. Like, that's good news. It's, he doesn't hold it against you. You're not held accountable for your sin at this judgment. But I believe there are two things, if you want to jot these down, that you will be held accountable for. And that is your motives and your management. Let's talk first about your motives. Because here's the thing. God knows. This really speaks to your heart. This really speaks to, um, you know, God says that he, man judges by the outward appearance, but he looks at the heart. So he knows our, our motives. 1 Corinthians 3.10, verse 10 says, but whoever is building on this foundation must be careful. In the New King James, it says, be careful about how you build. So the way you build, what you're, uh, the way that you're doing it is important. I don't think Jesus ever intended for us to say, I came to church, I sang some songs, I prayed a prayer, and so the rest of my life I can live however I want to, and one day I'm gonna end up in eternity, and it's all good. I don't think that's what he meant when he said, take up your cross daily and follow me. But a lot of us have this, this idea, and, and it really kind of hinges on our motives. So I wanna ask you a few questions 
about your motives. And the first one is this, and I'm not really trying to sound like a jerk face or anything. Honestly, this is a sincere question, and that is, why am I here? Like, think about it. Like, right now, think about why are you here, honestly? Is it to... to be encouraged? Is it to be challenged? Is it to be inspired? Is it to hear from God? Is it, is it because you're, you feel guilty of some sin issue that you carry in your, your life and you're trying to find some, some peace from it? Is it you just wanted an hour or so of freedom without your kids and so you checked them into the kids area and said, I'm gonna hang out in here and I don't blame you for that. That's all, that's all great. But you need to answer the question because it has to do with our motives. Why are you here? Why did you show up? today? It's a good question. Another one that you need to ask yourself is, am I really seeking to obey God or to negotiate with him? Because I've learned that here's what we will do and here's what I will do. I'm not pointing the fingers at any of you. I'll say things like, you know, God, what do you want me to do? And he'll clearly tell me what he wants me to do. And I will negotiate. And I'll say, well, I don't want to do that but here's what I will do, God. As if God's gonna say, oh, your idea is so much better than my idea. Why didn't I think of that, right? I don't know, God, why didn't you think of that? A lot of times we want to negotiate with God. And that says a lot about our motives. It says a lot about how are we trying to please God, Jesus, or ourselves? You should ask the question. Another question would be, do I view God's word as a command or a suggestion? So when we read things like, um, you know, go throughout the entire world telling people the good news of Jesus and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? The, the great commission, have we turned that into the great suggestion? That that's a good idea for some, but not for me? Or when God's word says, hey, bring the whole tithe into my, my storehouse. See if I don't throw open the floodgates and bless you. That was a good for them. That's a good suggestion, God. Or do we really view it as a command? You need to be clear because it speaks to your motives. Do I view God's word as a command or a suggestion? How about this one? Am I holding on to sin really with no sorrow or no desire to let go of it? Now you th here's what you think. You know what? This is, this is just my deal. I'm just holding on to this. It doesn't impact anyone. It doesn't affect anyone but me. And you're just, you're just carrying some sin in your life with no desire to let go of it. And you're like, oops, you know, I, I just make a mistake every now and then. I just, I just fail every now and then. I heard a guy say, not carrying the one in your checkbook, that's making a mistake. Having an affair with someone, that's not making a mistake, all right? That's not. Saying, oops, you know, we accidentally had sex, that doesn't work that way. So are you holding on to something without the thought, without the, the desire to let it go? Or what about this question, am I giving my best? Are you really giving God your best? I'm not asking, are you perfect? Because no one in this room would say that you're perfect, right? Like, no one's gonna say that. And I love how, how when someone's about to gossip about someone else, they always start off by saying, well, I'm not perfect, but, you know, so-and-so. It's like, oh, thanks for tell telling me that. Thanks for clarifying you're not perfect. I saw the halo, I saw the wings, I thought you were perfect, and you cleared that up for me, way to go. No one's perfect, but the day we stand before God, he's not gonna ask if we were perfect. He's gonna ask, did you give your, your best to him? Did you give your all to him? And here's the thing, we're not gonna be able to lie about it. 
We're gonna have that moment where we're standing face to face. You can lie to your mom, you can lie to your dad, your teacher, your boss. You know, when they ask, are you giving your best? You can lie to me. Colby, I try to come to church. I wanna, I wanna do my best to, to serve more. That's fine, but you're not gonna be able to lie to God. You're not gonna be able to fool him. So on that day, he's gonna ask about our motives, but he's also gonna ask about our management. Jot that down. Management. We use the word stewardship a lot in the church, being, being managers of the things that, that God has given us, of the resources that he has given us to manage. He's gonna ask you, what did you do with what I gave you? He's gonna ask, what is my return on my investment? What is my ROI on the, 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 the gifts that I deposited inside of you? Verse 10 again says, because of God's grace to me, that word grace is the word charis, which really means gift. That everything that we have is a gift from God. And you should know that even if you're not a follower of Jesus, the, the sunset that you'll experience at some point in the summer on beach 11 is a gift from God. Like the breath in your lungs is a gift from God. The fact that you got to wake up today, you know, on this earth, this is a gift from God. You should know that. Everything we have is a grace gift of, of God. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you're gonna be held accountable at the judgment seat of Jesus for, I believe, at least three things that you have management over. Jot these down, your time. Let's talk about your time. You're gonna be held accountable on the other side of eternity for the way you spent your time on this side of eternity. So, how are you spending your time? Because here's what people will say all the time. Well, I wish I had more time. I wish I had more time. Here's the thing about time. It is the great equalizer. Every single one of us, we all have the same number of minutes in the day. We all have the same amount of hours in the day. So how are you spending your time? Um, I did some studying on, on the hours that people spend on on social media, and this, I'm not preaching against Facebook and, and Instagram and, and MySpace. Well, maybe MySpace. If you're still on MySpace, all right, it's time to let that go. I'm just saying. But the average person will spend two hours a day on social media, which equals five years and four months of your life, okay? Over the lifetime, five years and four months of your life on social media. That's the average person. The average teen, watch this, between eight and nine hours a day. So multiply that by four, 20 years. 20 years of your life? I just think we can do better at the way we spend our time. And I know people will push back, well, well that's, that, is, that is life, that is social, that is relationships. It's actually kind of a false sense of intimacy. It's not true intimacy. I just think we can do better. So how are you managing the moments that God has given you. What are you doing with your time? Because one of these days you will be held accountable for the way you spend your time. And I'm not saying that, that God is, is big chief, no fun, right? And you can't ever do anything fun that you enjoy. I would just say be careful to use your time wisely, wisely. The, the second thing I believe we're gonna have to answer for is our money. Dun, 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 there it is. I knew it. Honey, grab your purse. Let's get out of here. Relax, relax, all right? I have to talk about this because Jesus talked about it. In fact, there are more 
um, verses on the way we handle our resources, our treasure, our money, uh, how it's tied to our, our heart. There's more verses, God's word says more about that than it says about heaven and hell, than it says about eternity, which we are talking about. And if you are a follower of Jesus and you come here to this church, I have a responsibility to share this with you. I'm gonna be held accountable, accountable for the things that you are learning in this church. You don't have to listen to it, right? You don't have to listen to a word I say about it, but according to scripture, every one of us who's a follower of Jesus will be held accountable for the, the money that is given to us through God, passed, passed to us, and that we use for his kingdom. Like every single one of us. So if you wanna play the whole, I just give as I feel led, or I'll tip God here and there, or you know, I give in different ways, you know, I give with my time, or, or I do these other things, that's fine. Um, I'm just telling you that we'll, we will be held accountable for the way that we use our money, the way that we manage the resources that God has given to us. And I talk about it because in America, we make some really dumb financial decisions, don't we? Like we do. Have you ever made a dumb financial decision? Maybe some of you drove your dumb financial decision to church, right? Like we make some dumb financial decisions. I made one. I've made several probably, but about 13 years ago, I made a really dumb financial decision. My wife still will not let me live this down is that I got hooked on an infomercial. I saw this guy. He was, I'll, I'll tell you what it was in a second. He was, he was working out. He was doing like three days a week, you know, three reps each day. And by the end of three weeks, he went from like, Flabulous to fabulous, right? I mean, the guy was jacked, he was cut, and it wasn't a shake weight. I'm not doing that, all right? I'm not doing the shake weight. But it was a Bowflex. Anybody else get sucked in the Bowflex? Come on, Bowflex. Liars, liars. Somebody else, I know. No, someone else in this room did. But it's Bowflex. And it was like, hey, for three easy payments of $1.99. And I discovered why they said it was easy because they weren't the ones making those payments, right? But three easy payments of $1.99, you can have this. And so I got the Bowflex I put up in the basement and my wife will tell you, like for the first six days, I murdered it. I killed that thing, man. I'm in there, I'm lifting, you know, every day on that. And I felt like God, you know, on the seventh day, I need to rest. I need to get my muscles a rest. So I'm gonna rest and say, I'll get back on it tomorrow. Tomorrow came and I said, I'll get back on it. The next day, I was too busy that day, and then the next day, and then the next day went by, and the next day went by. I used that thing more the first week than I did the first three years that we had it, all right? Like, actually, that's a lie, because we did end up using it as a really great place to hang your clothes in the laundry room. It's a $600, like, laundry hanger. But we make some dumb financial decisions, and I say that because we will be held accountable. So you need to ask yourself, am I using the resources that God has given me in a way that would honor him, in a way that is obedient to him, the way that he asks me to do it? Are you doing that? Is he, is he first in your life? And I know you might say, well, of course he is, of course he is. You can say that to me, you can say that in here, but when you stand before him face to face, is it true? Because he will know. He will know your, your time, your money, and then your gifting. Like what he has deposited inside of you. Here's what I believe according to 1 Corinthians 12 and, and a bunch of other scriptures that every single person in this room, you've been wired, you've been given a gift. 
Like if you're a follower of Jesus, he has placed inside of you uh, a, a spiritual gift, one at least, maybe, maybe even more than that, but you've been wired and you're supposed to use that gift uh, for the benefit of others. It will build your faith, but you're to use it for the benefit of others. So the question with that is, do you know what your gift is? And then the follow-up would be, are you using it? Do you know what it is, and are you using it? Because God has given you a gift to serve others, serve others, not to be served, but to serve others. And a lot of people will say, well, well, do you have a spiritual gifts test, you know, something that would help me identify it? We do, all right? We, we, we take people through that in Crash Course. In fact, next week, you can jump on week one of Crash Course. However, the best way to discover your spiritual gift, you know what I found is? Get involved, like just jump in, just don't wait to be asked. Just say, hey, where can you use me? If you think you have a passion and an ability in some area, just say, hey, you know, I'd really like to serve here. And then over time, allow people to affirm that that's the gift that you have in your, your life. For me, that's how it worked. It was through serving that I discovered, hey, you might have this gift. Like it was through serving, through doing, doing music. And they're like, hey, I think you have this gift. I'm like, can I get rid of it? You know, do I... Can I get rid of this gift somehow? Like, no, you gotta use this thing. So anyway, use your gifts. And the reason this fires me up and bothers me at the same time is because in the church in America, in this room right now, this room is pregnant with untapped potential. Here's what I believe. There are people in this room that God created you to do great and awesome things, but you will never discover it until you get off the stands and get into the game and fully use the gifts that God has given you. There are people in this room that you need to take that first step. All right, just saying that. So what will we be held accountable for? The judgment seat of Christ for our, our time, our our, our gifting, our money. This is, the, this is the face-to-face judgment with Jesus as followers of his. And it's not gonna be like, you know, you failed, you failed, you failed. I don't think that's how the judgment will go. It's gonna be like, hey, man, you did that, good job. Hey, the moment that you led that person to Jesus or you told them, you know, about, you know, the hope that you have, good job. It's not gonna be like, you know, some did great and some, you know, you, you did terrible. It won't be that way. It's gonna be like, well done, well done, good and faithful servant. However, the second judgment, let's talk about this now. This is the great white throne judgment. This one is scary. This one, and my goal really is not to scare anyone in this room, but really is to prepare you. Not to scare you, but prepare you. And I say that because I think the church in America, we have avoided this. Because we're so afraid of, of we, we've let go of personal holiness for political correctness. You know what I'm saying? Where, where everybody, we have to be nice about everything, so we gotta kind of withhold some stuff or, or, or sugarcoat things. I don't think that this is one of those things we can sugarcoat. I don't think this is one of those things that, that we need to kind of gloss over because the first time I read this, honestly, Revelation 20, if you have your Bible, I was like, Dang, this is sobering. This is, let's just read it. Verse 11, and by the way, if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you are not in Christ, you haven't trusted him for salvation, what we believe is that this is what happens. 
and I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. The earth and the sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And books were opened. We're going to come back, and what's, what's all that about? Including the book of life, which, by the way, is the important one. The moment you say yes to Jesus, the moment you, you confess him as Lord, and he becomes the Lord of your life, it says your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. That's the book that you want your name in. But there were all these other books, and it says the dead were judged according to what they had done as written in the other books. That one day you'll stand before God and be judged for your sin. Why? Because you didn't allow Jesus to pay for your sin on the cross. You'll be judged for, you will take on the wrath of God because those of us who are followers of Jesus, we, we said yes to uh, receiving the grace, the free gift of grace offered by God through Jesus when God put his wrath onto Jesus instead of us. When we were the ones who deserved it, the Christian has had uh, their sins paid for by Jesus on the cross. The person that does not know Christ hasn't and will stand accountable for their sins, stand accountable for what's recorded in those books. Colby, you're just saying this to try and scare me into receiving Jesus. No, I'm not. I'm not saying that to try and scare you to, to receiving Jesus so that, so that one day uh, you can go to heaven. I want you to receive Jesus so that you can live fully alive in him today. Not for, this is not just a good retirement plan, all right? This is not, you know, uh, people used to say something about fire. I don't know what it was, but I'm not, you know. Keep going, verse 13. The sea gave up its dead. And, the, and death and the grave gave up their dead and we're all were judged according to their deeds. Again, if you're not a Christian, you're gonna be held accountable for your sins. Verse 14, then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is a second death and anyone whose name is not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake. This is, this is hell. Here's the reality when we talk about hell. When most people read that, you know what their response is? Hmm, that's interesting. Because in America, half of 1% of people actually believe that they are going to hell. And that terrifies me. Because the scariest part about hell, the scariest part about all of this is what Jesus said. Jesus told us that hell was actually going to be way more crowded than heaven. In fact, this is what he said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for the many who, watch this word, choose that way. Here's something that you need to understand, something that a lot of people don't get. They'll say, why would God send people to hell? Why would a loving God create a place like that and send people to it? Here's the deal. He doesn't send people to hell. We choose it. A choice not to follow Jesus in this life is a choice to live separately from God in the next life. Did you know that? And that's really what hell is. It's this utter separation. It's this isolation. It's just being apart from everyone, this, this loneliness. 
That moment that Jesus was on the cross where he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was because God removed himself from him. He couldn't look on, on the sin that he was taking on himself. And so it was this utter loneliness. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult. And watch this, only a few find it. So Colby, who's gonna be there? Who's gonna be at the great uh, white throne judgment? Four kinds of people. The procrastinator. Those of you that put off a decision that you know you need to make. For one reason or another, there are people who walk through this door every single week and, and here's what you're thinking. I know Jesus is real. I know he died for my sin. I know I need to trust him for my salvation. However, now is not the time. It's not the time. It's not a good time for me. You know, there's things that, that I wanna do. I, I'm, I'm still selfish. I still need to focus on, on my life. Now's not the time. And here's what you need to know. If this is you, if the knuckles of a holy God are knocking on the door of your heart, like now is the time. And the thing about God is that he is a gentleman. He does not force himself on anyone. He will not force his way into your life. You have to open the door and invite him in. And there will be people on that day, standing before God, thrown into separation from God, not because they didn't believe in Jesus, but because they'd never responded to him, never surrendered their life to him. So that's one kind of person. The other is the coward. These are the people that here's what they say. What will others think about me? And by the way, this isn't just for students. This isn't just for, you know, middle school, high school students. This is for everyone. People will say, well, if I made that decision and someone found out, then, you know, what would my parents think? What would, what would my, my spouse think? What would my coworkers think? What would my, my boss think if I, if I chose to follow Jesus? I don't want to become one of those crazy Jesus people, you know, running around. You know, what would they, they think? You know, it might mean that, that I have to change the way I do business. You bet it will. It might mean I have to change, you know, some things in my marriage. I pray to God that it does. Or I have to change some things that I'm doing outside of my marriage. I hope it will. In fact, I'd say if uh, Jesus doesn't impact every area of your life, it could be that you haven't surrendered your life yet to him. So the coward, the person that's afraid, the next one is the prideful. And this is all of us. On some level, we all have, have pride, but mainly for those that would say, Colby, I'm so glad you're talking about this to the people that need it. But I'm good. Like, I'm a good person. Have you heard this before? I'm, I'm a good person. I do some good things. And if I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times, good people don't go to heaven, save people go to heaven. Has nothing to do with, with being good. It has to do with you surrendering your life. Here's the last one. This one we'll end on, and this one could be the scariest of all, and that is the church member. There are people, I'm about to offend somebody in this room. In fact, I'm gonna offend everybody in just a moment. I'm an equal opportunity offender, all right? So we're gonna all get offended. Not really. There are people in this room, you've been in and out of churches maybe even your whole life. One denomination to the next denomination, just kind of in and out, bouncing around. I've never read a single verse in the Bible that said, 
Catholics go to heaven. I've never read that verse. I've never read a verse that said Baptists go to heaven either. Or Methodists or Episcopalians. Never read the verse that says non-denominational people go to heaven. Jesus didn't say this is about your church membership. He said this is about whether or not I have lordship of your life. And whether or not you choose, you know what it means to have lordship or for you to have someone lord over your life? It means that you surrender your life to their will, that you follow their will, that you do what they ask you to do, that they're the Lord of your life. Here's what the Bible says, Jesus said in Matthew chapter seven. And I say this because some of you say, well, I go to church, I do some good things. That's not the issue. That never was the issue. Jesus said, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my father. Only those who actually allow God, allow Jesus to be Lord of their their lives, that, that follow his example, that are obedient to him, that are motivated by, by not you know, external motivations, but it's an internal one. The motivations that we should be after are, God, I want to serve you and follow you because what you've done for me is gratitude. It's gratitude. It's, it's obedience. That should be my motivation. It should be the fact that I want a purpose-filled life. That should be my motivation to follow God's will for me. But he says, not everyone who calls on the Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father will. And on judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, I came to Elevate Church. I showed up. I, I led a, a small group. I read, I read the Bible. I prayed. We prophesied. You know, we cast out demons. We did all these good things, good things in your name, performed miracles in your name. But I will reply to you, Scariest verse in scripture, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. The book of Revelation doesn't, doesn't terrify me. This terrifies me. And here's why it terrifies me, because I don't want at the end of my life to stand face to face to Jesus and him say, hey, Colby, you guys did some great things at Elevate Church. That one for one thing, you know, the generosity thing, that was, that was great. And on one hand, people coming in and out, walking through these doors, thinking that everything's okay. Saying that we cried, Lord, Lord. But he's gonna say, get away from me. I never knew you, but I did some good stuff. Yeah, but did you fully surrender your heart and life to Jesus? Did you confess Jesus as Savior and as as Lord? Because it's very different things. Saying, Lord, I wanna give you my whole life. I want... I want to surrender it all to you. I want to follow you. So I'm asking you today, did you pray a prayer not to get out of hell, but to actually get Jesus out of heaven and into your heart? Did you pray a prayer not to, you know, for a retirement plan one day to be safe in eternity? Or did you pray a prayer to say, I want you to change my heart, change my motivations, change my life. I want to be different because of you, I want you to be the Lord. I want to obey your word. I want to show gratitude. 
I want your Holy Spirit to move in me. Give me the, 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 the fruits of the Spirit. I should be more loving. I should be more faithful. I should be more kind to my neighbors. I should look different because of my life in you so that we can live for him every day and follow and give our very best. I'm asking you, did you pray that kind of prayer? I wanna give you a chance to do that right now with every head bowed, every eyes closed. Every one of us in this room, two judgments. The judgment seat of Christ, the one where we will stand face to face, be held accountable for the, the gifts that we've been given the resources that we've been given, the very breath that we have been given will be held accountable for the way we used our time, for the way our lives reflected Jesus, the way we were or were not ambassadors for Christ on this earth. And what is our motivation for that? Are you giving your very best? Are you still trying to negotiate some things with God? You see God's word as, as command or as optional. So those of you that are followers of Christ, one day you'll stand before him. And will what you are building, will it burn? Or will it last? And for those of you that aren't followers of Jesus, the day will come when we stand before God and if he doesn't know us, if our name is not written in the Lamb's book of life, it says we'll be cast out into utter darkness, separation from God for eternity. And I'm not asking you this morning to pray a prayer just, just because you want your eternity secure. I'm asking you to pray a prayer because you wanna live differently today, that you know that that Jesus paid for your guilt, paid for your sin, paid for your shame. And the moment you confess him as Lord of your life, the Bible says that you will be saved. So in just a moment, I wanna lead you in that kind of prayer. It's just a simple prayer where we say yes to following Jesus and receive him into our heart. And if you'd say, Colby, that's why I'm here. I want my name written in the Lamb's book of life. I'm gonna nail this down today. I'm gonna commit my life and surrender it to Jesus and trust that his death on the cross paid for my sin once and for all, if that's you today, would you just raise your hand and just hold it up high, just saying, I'm gonna surrender. I'm gonna trust in, in Jesus, my savior. Awesome, awesome. Praise God for all of you. I want my name written in that Lamb's book of life today. Praise God for all of you. Put your hands down and repeat something like this. You can use your own words. Jesus, I surrender my life to you. Forgive my sin. Thank you for your blood that covers it. Thank you for your sacrifice on the cross. Thank you for taking the wrath of God in my place so I don't have to. Forgive me for the way I've been living and save me. I trust in hope for salvation that comes through you alone for this free gift that you've given me. I confess you as Lord, just let him know that again. I confess you as Lord and savior of my life. And from this moment on, I'm gonna do my very best to live for you in Jesus' name, amen. We're always encouraged to know that God is using Elevate to bless people's lives. If you have a story about how God is working in your life, share your story online at elevatechurch.com.